Does your relationship with God really matter? I mean, we would say yes. You being here would say, well, yeah, it matters. Does it matter enough to shape how you live, how you relate to people, what you say, where you go, what you do? Does your relationship with God really matter? Think about the meaningful relationships you have in your life. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm the husband of a wife. That relationship shapes every part of who I am. I'm the father of four daughters and the father-in-law to two sons-in-law. Those relationships shape who I am. I'm a grandfather to Nora Hayes. And I'm telling you, it shapes who I am. When I started in ministry, um, 20, 21, uh, at the age of 20 or 21, uh, three decades ago, uh, I was uh, primarily uh, the son of Claude and Jan and the brother to Brett, Brandon, and Heath. And those relationships shaped who I was. It shaped my personality. I mean, you think growing up with three brothers, uh, those, those relationships influenced how I did conflict management. With three brothers, we did conflict management with uh, loud words and uh, uh, voices raised to win an argument. Sometimes we did it with sticks or bats. But conflict management was shaped by those relationships. God gave me four daughters. And my pattern for conflict management changed dramatically. And no longer was my style, sometimes I drift back into the bad style, but no longer was my style primarily loud words and uh, winning arguments. It was more gentle. Am I the same person? Absolutely, I'm the same person. I'm, I'm not different than I was when I was 19 or 20, but my relationships have changed the way I live. It shaped my life. When Edie and I got married, I was dumb as mud when it came to the female gender. I mean, dumb as mud. Had no clue as to what it was all about. Confused by so many things. Tears. I, di I didn't get that. Sometimes I still don't. But my relationship with Edie has shaped my life to make me a better man. Think about your relationship with God. I'm not talking about just uh, showing up at church, and I'm not talking about pursuing a Baptist religion, whatever that may be. I I'm talking about a relationship with God. Has it made a difference in your daily life? How you live? Has it shaped who you are? What John gets at in 1 John chapter 2 is he's saying, if you have a relationship with God, then it will shape your life. And if your life has not been shaped 
by God, then you don't have a relationship with him. Now, usually what happens is we start looking at passages like 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, and we start thinking, well, you know, what's he talking about? Is he saying I'm going to heaven when I die, or is he saying I don't go to heaven when I die? What's he talking about? Uh, Let me clear everything up, sort of. There's only one way for us to enter into a relationship with God, and without a relationship with God, we will not go to heaven when we die. My relationship with God began at the age of 11 when I saw that my sin had separated me from God. There was an emptiness inside of me, a darkness that I couldn't conquer. No matter how many friends I might have had, no matter how many A's I made in school, I even changed my name from John Eric Thomas to Eric John Thomas, but none of that satisfied me. There was an emptiness that I could not conquer, and I couldn't escape. And and I realized one Sunday night as I was sitting in a church, listening to the preacher, who happened to be my dad, preach a message. I don't know what he said, but I know that God kind of showed up in my, in my, uh, my vision, my, my sight that day, in my heart and in my mind. And he said, Eric, the reason you're empty is because you don't have a relationship with me. Now, make no mistake, I was a very, very, very good kid. Didn't get in trouble, didn't do bad things, said only nice things. I mean, I only got kicked out of uh, uh, a choir a couple of times for being too loud. (laughs) I I was a pretty good kid. I went to church all the time. I read my Bible every day. I said my prayer every night. I, I was a very religious kid. I was Baptist to the core at the age of 11. But I was empty. And all that church stuff didn't satisfy me, didn't fill the emptiness inside of me. It wasn't until that night in that church where God showed up and confronted me. He said, you don't have a relationship with me. You may be religious, but that's not enough. You may be doing some good stuff, but that's not enough. He said, your sin, Eric's sin, has separated me from him. And I couldn't do enough good stuff to make up for the bad stuff I had already done. My sin was the problem. I was empty. I was incomplete. And it wasn't until that moment where I recognized my dilemma was my sin that I saw Jesus for who he really was. Jesus wasn't just a good fairy tale that, would, that, that I would read about or a scripture verse that I would memorize. Jesus was my rescuer. The only hope that I have, the only hope that you have, the only hope that the world has to find forgiveness for sin to make us fit for God's family is through Jesus Christ. Jesus who is God left heaven's throne to be born in a manger in a stable. He lived his life fully God, yet fully man. He went to a cross to take Eric Thomas's sin, to die in my place, to take the condemnation that I deserved so that I might find forgiveness through faith in him. He was raised from the dead so that Eric Thomas might have a new heart, so that Eric Thomas might have a new life. If I place my faith in him. And on that night in that church at the age of 11, I let go of all the stuff that I was trying to do to make myself better. 
Because God's not trying to make us better. He's trying to make us brand new. And in that moment, I let go of all my stuff and I bowed before God in repentance of my sin. I looked to Jesus as my only hope. I said, Jesus, will you forgive my sin? Jesus, will you take the death on the cross that you did for me and apply it to my account? Will you you wipe away the stain of my sin and the guilt of my sin? And it was in that moment where I placed my faith in Jesus that God's grace gave me new life. And he gave me a new heart and he gave me a new mind and he gave me a new will. In that moment, God began to shape my life. Not only did I find forgiveness, I'm no longer far from God, but now I'm brought near through the blood of Christ. Not only did I find forgiveness, I found family. Because I believed on Jesus, I am now part of the family of God. As all of us who place their faith in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of God. I've been forgiven. I have a family. My future is secure. No matter what I do this side of heaven, I know that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven because I have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And I found fulfillment. Fulfillment, a satisfaction in my soul by following after Jesus. My relationship with God means everything to me because it's changed everything about me. Is that the kind of relationship with God that you have? Do you have that kind of relationship? How do you know if you have a relationship with God? Now, that's what John's going to tell us in these few verses, that, that we can be confident that we have a relationship with God. And he gives us this thing, a love test. Essentially, he's saying that we show that we know God by our love for him and by our love for others. We show that we have a relationship with God, that we know God when we love him and when we love others. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that by loving him, by being obedient to his commands, do we get a relationship with him? No. He's not saying that when we love other people that somehow that makes us have a relationship with God. No. He's saying that when we by faith come into his family, repenting our sin and experiencing the glorious grace that brings us into his family and forgives our sin through faith in Christ, in that moment we have a new heart, we have a new life, we have a new way of living. And from here to heaven... God, by His Word and by His Spirit, is going to shape our lives so that we will love God and love others. Does that sound familiar, love God, love others? That's what Jesus said. An attorney came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest of all commandments? And Jesus said, uh, the greatest of all commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second liken to it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Is the marker of being part of God's family. So John wants us to know, and guys, I want you to know that you have a relationship with God. 
But I also want you to know if you don't have a relationship with God so that you can enter into a relationship with God. So let's pick up this love test that we find here. We show that we know God when we love Him and love others. And really, this, pa- this passage is divided into two parts. The first part is talking about our love for God, and the second part is talking about our love for others. Two parts, pretty simple, right? Not hard, not complex. Easy to understand, more challenging to apply. So let's pick it up here. First John, got to get my glasses on. First John chapter 2. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. It says, now by this we know that we know him. By this you can have confidence that you know him, that you have a relationship with him. If we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. We show that we know God when we love him and love others. We show that we love God when we obey him. We show that we love God when we obey him. Now, um, if you know God, then obedience to God will flow out of that knowing God. It's the natural progression. How do I know that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that if I'm in Christ Jesus, He's given me a new heart, a new life. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. In Romans chapter 6, it says that I should reckon myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 12 tells us that, that uh, when I am in Christ, uh, I, 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 uh, I, I don't have, live under the condemnation or the guilt of, of that sin, that disobedience that I have. But then he goes on and, and he talks about how that I must live a life of obedience. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, if truly you have experienced this life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ that has brought you into God's family, then you're going to be obedient to God. We show that we love God by our obedience. Simple way to think of it this way. To know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. To know God is to love God. If I know Him, I love Him. It, it's, it, it, it's not, there's no disconnect there. If I know Him, I love Him. And if I love Him, I'll obey Him. Jesus said it a little bit differently in John chapter 14. He said, whoever loves me will obey my commandments. So here's the question. Do you show that you love God by obeying Him? Think of it a little bit differently. Um, uh, Think of your relationship with your parents or as a parent with your children. 
or with a spouse between husband and wife. Think of it this way. Think, okay, I love my wife, and because I love my wife, I want to please my wife. My relationship with my wife shapes my life. It shapes my behavior. It shapes my attitude. It shapes my conduct. It should shape my words. Because I love my wife, I want to please my wife. With my parents, I, I, I remember growing up, and, and again, there were four boys in our house, no sisters, um, and my older brother and I, he would always lead me astray and to do terrible things. There were simple rules in our house growing up, simple, not, not complex. Mom and dad were very simple. One of those rules was do not play sports in the house. Don't play soccer in the house. Don't play kickball in the house. Don't play uh, football in the house. Don't play baseball in the house. Don't play sports in the house. We knew this. It was not, it was not a new commandment that they were giving us. It was something very settled. It was settled commandment. On Fridays, they, mom and dad would go to the grocery store. I put it in air quotes because they went to the grocery store every Friday just to get away from the kids. I know why they went to the grocery store. Grocery store is what they called it. They run errands. Uh, but they would leave, and they would leave us alone during the summer. They would leave us alone for several hours. And when they left, it was so much a desire of us my older brother especially, and he would drag me in to play some sport in the house, whether it be football or baseball or kickball or soccer. We knew the command, and we loved mom and dad. We loved them. I love them still. But there was a desire for pleasure in playing sports in the house that sometimes over, uh, over, rode, over that, uh, that overcame my desire to bring mom and dad pleasure. And that led to disobedience. It led to those times where we would play sports in the house. We didn't stop loving mom and dad, and honestly, we knew that it was not a good thing, but we wanted to play this game. It all came to a head one evening. I've shared this before. One afternoon, we were playing uh, sports in the house, and uh, uh, my brother broke. It's him. He did it all. My brother broke an antique um, lamp, the, the, the shade. It was a glass shade that went around a lamp, and it was, a, it was an antique, and, and he broke it by kicking the ball off my knee. He broke that, that shade. And let me just say, uh, Elmer, Elmer's glue just doesn't work in that situation. And it was before crazy glue. I wish we could have had crazy glue back then. But anyway, we, we, we were disobedient, and we got found out. You know, mom and dad never said, to us, you are no longer my sons. You don't belong to my family anymore because you disobeyed me. No, they, that's not what, he, what they did. They, they said, you are my son, 
and you have blown it. And I love you, but I am going to beat you. I mean discipline, discipline, discipline. I'm going to discipline you. I didn't stop being mom and dad. And I didn't stop loving mom and dad even in those moments of disobedience. So John is not saying in verses 3 through 5, he's not saying if at any time you disobey God, then you do not know him. You do not have a relationship. But what he is saying is that even in those moments of perfection, the heart that you have longs to return to obedience to God. Your desire to please God, even if it is derailed in moments, is still the theme of your life. So are you being obedient to God? Is that the theme of your life? Are you keeping His commandments? Is your heart's desire to bring Him pleasure? Even in those moments when you might have other pleasures that that drag you away, like my older brother did me, does your heart return to seek after God's pleasure? That's what John is saying. Obedience is a mark of a follower of Jesus. And if you desire to obey God, chances are you have a relationship with God. And if there are moments where you don't obey God and there is a desire in your heart to return to obedience to God, then chances are you have a relationship with God. But if you're here today and you think sitting in a church building is sufficient for you to be right with God and you don't care about your life, your attitude, your conduct, your words being shaped by who God is, if you don't care whether or not you please God, only that God pleases you, did you hear my language? Because that's important. Uh, Let me repeat it. You don't care if you please God, only that God pleases you. If that is the theme of your life, then chances are you don't have a relationship with God, and you're not going to heaven when you die. Thank you. Morris? No, that's all right. That was Jesus calling. (laughs) Today, today, the question is, do you have a relationship with God? How can you be certain? You show that you know God, that you love God, when you obey God. Now, there have been many times today, yesterday, the day before, next week, every day next week, there'll be times when I choose disobedience to God. There'll be times when I do that. I don't lose. God doesn't say, you're no longer my son. You're no longer part of my family. No, he says, Eric, you blew it. And in that moment, he gives us a path to return to obedience as his sons and daughters. And as a son or a daughter of God, we long to return to obedience. So how do we do it? Well, in, in uh, 1 John 1, 5, it begins with recognizing that God is holy, and we're not. John, 1 John 1, 5, uh, this is the message which we have heard, which we declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is perfectly pure. He is absolutely holy. And when we sin, we are 
damaging our relationship with Him. We need to recognize that God is holy, and that leads us to see our sinfulness. Not only do we see that God is holy, we see that we are sinful. This is 1 John 1, 8. Um, if we say that we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Well, we need to acknowledge that we have sinned. We need to come clean about our sin. When we see our sin and we see God's holiness, then we confess our sin. This is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we return to the path of obedience. We see that God is holy. We see our sin. We confess and repent of our sin, and then we return to the path of obedience. That is the picture of what sons and daughters of God do. By this, you know that you know God, that you have a passionate pursuit and a desperate heart to be obedient to Him, to live for His pleasure. To know God is to love God. To love God is to obey God. So are you loving God? second part of this passage begins with verse 6, sort of. 6 is kind of a transition statement. It says that if we say that we abide in Christ, then we ought to live the way He lived. That makes sense, doesn't it? If we say that we have a relationship with God, if we say that we uh, have sunk, the, uh, the, sunk our soul into the grip of Jesus, then we ought to live the way He lives. By the way, there's no fudging there. That is that's just straight up what we're supposed to be doing, you and I. You say you're a follower of Jesus, then we should be following him. We ought to be living the way he lived. We ought to be loving the way he loved. That's, that's the second point. If we're going to abide, if we're going to live the way he lived, that means that we're going to love the way he loved. Not only do we show God that we love him when we obey him, but we show that we know God when we love others. Do you realize that not only here, but uh, throughout uh, the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 5 and in, uh, uh, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus consistently tells us that the way we show that we're part of God's family is how we love others. Not how they love us. Because that's really what we focus in on most of the time, isn't it? I mean, and I'm not an expert on the social condition of the United States of America. I do have a Ph.D. in postmodern philosophy, which doesn't help much uh, of anything. Um, but I, I do believe that the conflict and the division and the divisiveness that we have in our nation is a mark of a nation where love is low on the totem pole. But you and I, the church, do you realize that we're supposed to be the model of how to live through competing ideas and different preferences and still love the way Jesus has loved us? By the way, this is the one command we can point to today that if I don't do this, I'm not showing God that I love Him. We show that we know God by how we love 
others, how we love each other and how we love others. Now, look at verses 7 through 11. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you. Now, it's not a new commandment because you find it in Leviticus 18, 19, 20. Uh, God says you're supposed to love other people. It's not a new commandment. It's an ancient commandment. Uh, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. So not only is it in the Old Testament, but when people came to, into a relationship with God, they were taught what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to love one another. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you. So, this same commandment, which is an ancient commandment, he's now calling a new commandment. Why? Because it's expressed through us in this day at this time because God in his grace has poured his love into our hearts through Christ Jesus. Now, you and I are able to live in this love that is an ancient command, but a new expression here and now. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him, being Jesus, and in you, if you're a follower of Jesus, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. When we who have received God's love through faith in Christ, when we have experienced his love soaking our soul and satisfying us completely, then we who walk in that light love others. He goes on. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even now. He who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause of stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. How do we show that we know God? Well, here it says we show that we know God by loving others. The opposite of love, however, is hate. Now, you read that, and it says, verse whoever hates his brother, it says he's in the light, but hates his brother, he's lying. There's no truth in him. He's in darkness. And you might say, well, that's not me because I don't hate anybody. I dislike some people but I don't hate anybody. Now you're playing semantics. You see, the language for hate is the same language, the same word for dislike. You may say, am I, you're saying, I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to dislike anybody? No, you're supposed to love, actively love. Love and hate will never coexist They will never walk the same path. When we love someone, we're pushing hate out. The dislike that we have is overwhelmed, swallowed up with the love that we show. Eric, you don't understand. You don't understand. Have you not been reading the news? Do you not know what those Democrats are going to do to us? They're the enemy. They're the devil. Look, I'm not a politician, but I do read my Bible. 
And there is nothing that any political party or group that can do to the church that God does not allow that group to do to the church. And if God allows that group to do anything to the church, then it is for the church's good and for the glory of God. Number one. Number two, regardless what any group or people decide to do to the church, our response is always the same. We will love those people. That is what Jesus said. It's what the Bible says. Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't hate the, uh, I don't hate the sinner. I only hate the sin, and that's right. Psalm 97 says that we're supposed to hate evil. Those who love the Lord are supposed to hate evil. Uh, Amos chapter 5, I think, or Hosea chapter 5, one of those says that we're supposed to hate evil, love the good. And, and so I'm all about hating sin. I hate sin in my own life. But here's what we do in the church. We say, I hate sin and I love the sinner, but that hating sin bleeds over into how we treat the sinner. And the minute the way we hate sin bleeds over into how we treat the sinner, in that moment we have failed to obey God. And we're not showing that we love him. See, to love God means that we're going to love others in the same way that God has loved you and me. My soul, when did we stop seeing ourselves in our sin? We sit in our self-righteousness thinking that we're better than other people and we can treat people like dirt and demean them and talk bad about them, whether things are true or not, and we act like it's okay for us to behave that way, and God weeps because his children, if indeed we are his children, are walking a path of disobedience. If I could just put a finer point on this just a little bit, and by the way, I didn't plan First John for where we are in our climate as the church in this setting uh, in America. I didn't plan it that way. It just worked that way. I wonder why. But if I could put a finer point on this, and we're going to be looking at this again, and again and again, because First John is a lot about loving others. But if I could just kind of read to you what Jesus said, and some of y'all know where I'm going with this because I've done this before. But when we start acting like it's okay for us to be hateful, filled with vitriol, beat people with our words and with our flagpoles because we feel like we're justified. We have some, some historical kind of view that says it's okay, and I would say you need to go back to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 43, it's in red. That means that we know Jesus said it. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know, the Pharisees said that, and the blood of the Pharisees runs strong in some of us. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love 
your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. Beloved, can I just tell you, actively loving chases away actively hating. And if we do not love, then we're not being obedient. And some of us, some of us need to get right back on the track of obedience again by seeing that God is holy and that our lack of love is sinful. And so we confess it as sin. We don't rationalize it. We don't excuse it. We own it. This is me playing sports in the house. We turn away from it. We look to Jesus, our advocate, and he sets us back on a path of obedience again. Friends, we've got to do better than the world out there because we're the followers of Jesus. We're sons and daughters of God himself. And if he's changed your life as he has mine, then he will shape your life as he does mine. He's not talking about perfection. He's not talking about never blowing it. He's talking about coming clean when we do blow it and getting back on the path of obedience. My prayer for us, for each one of us, is that if we have a relationship with God, if we're confident of that, that we would live in such a way that we would show our hearts and our mouths and our minds are being shaped by our relationship with God more than anything else. And if you're here today online or in person and you don't know that you have a relationship with God, you're uncertain about it, you have questions about it, I want to encourage you to text WELCOME. Uh, to text Jesus to the number on the screen, or you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. If you're not sure that you have a relationship with God, text me or email me, and let's have a conversation. At the end of service last week, Stephen was uncertain about his relationship with God, and he set it right. His life's been changed. He followed the Lord in believer's baptism, and we rejoice in that. There may be somebody else in this room just like he was. Don't leave this day without making certain your relationship with God. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments as we have gathered here for your glory and in your name, we know that the words that you've shared may hit real close to home for us. They should. I know they should.
But God, I pray that for me, for my family, for this family of faith, my family, oh God, I pray that we would show that we know you by how we love you and how we love others. That we wouldn't try to rationalize away our disobedience, but that we would acknowledge that you are holy and that our sin is too real and too near. And we would see you in your holiness and we would see our sinfulness so that we would run to confession and repentance and get back on the path of obedience again. Thank you, O God, for your great grace that even in my rebellion you don't disown me as a son, but you correct me. Now be glorified as we worship you in these moments. And Lord, I pray that in every way you would show us how satisfied we can be because of you in, 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 in this wondrous transaction of your grace you have forgiven us through faith in Christ you have given us a family by which we can live we, you've given us fulfillment nourishing our soul and satting, satisfying us completely and you give us a future that is secure oh God I pray that we would celebrate that wondrous gift of your grace through Jesus Christ. Now be glorified as we worship you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.